Welcome in. It is Downtown, the podcast. Woohoo! Episode number 100. Crazy. Rich Kimball, Carrie Haskell from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine. Our show, Downtown, originates from here every weekday from 4 to 6 Eastern Time on the Zone Radio stations of Maine and streaming audio at downtownwithrichkimball.com. We are brought to you this week, every week, by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A hundred episodes. We should be having some kind of a celebration, but of course, we're quarantined. What can we do? No one brought cake, so no, we're stuck. Do we have any uh, any of that prosecco left from our friend Eric at <laughs> Bangor Wine and Cheese? We could pop a little little bubbly. If I had, had I planned ahead, we could have done that. Mm. Oh well. Well, we'll just celebrate in our own quiet, refined, dignified way. All right, that's not going to work either. Well, what if we celebrate with a couple more great guests? That's what we do, try to do every week here on the podcast. Uh, this week, we'll do it with a star of one of the best shows on television and a, a talented author, host, and food expert. That's Ilana Horwich, who joins us in the second half of the program to talk about her new book, A Meal and a Spiel. Up first, though, Isabella Gomez, young actress who stars in One Day at a Time. It looked like the series might be done for when it was canceled by Netflix at the end of last season. We've talked with Stephen Tobolowsky about this. They reemerged, signing on in the late spring, early summer with Pop TV, owned by CBS, and returned to start their new season recently, season number four, Tuesday nights at 9.30 Eastern time on Pop TV. Isabella Gomez plays the wonderful role of Elena Alvarez, and we talked with her about that role, the series, and what might lie ahead for her character. We have been fans of One Day at a Time since uh, the very first episode. Stephen Tobolowsky is a great friend of our show, so we were excited to see him, but uh, then when we watched the show, we realized this was an amazing ensemble cast. Uh, how far into it were you before you knew this was going to be a special kind of show? Oh, my God. Even when I did the audition, I realized that it was going to be such a special show. Even just reading the description for Elena Alvarez, who was a young Latina, and they wanted her to wear no makeup. And all her scenes were about environmental stuff or political stuff. At that point, I realized that the show was something really special. The ensemble is so strong and the chemistry that you have uh, really right from the get-go, but particularly uh, with Justina, with Rita, with Marcel, it's just so wonderful. Thank you. I mean, we love each other like family, so it, it definitely shows. <laughs> well, and the relationship between the characters is so real and so honest, and, and I, I don't think we see that anywhere anymore than uh, your character's relationship with Sid, played so wonderfully by Sheridan Pierce. Can you talk a little bit about how important it was to get that right? I mean, it's totally important. There is so little representation for the LGBTQ community, and when there is, it's usually you know, a very special episode that they do. And especially for females, it's very through the male gaze and very sexualized. So to be able to put these two teenagers on TV for everybody to be able to see and just show them as two humans falling in love and just being regular teenagers and normalizing that for people and, and letting them into what that looks like and that what that kind of relationship has and what the problems are and how they're just like ours as well is super, super important. And you guys play it so very well because it's it's so real, it's so natural. It's well, it's like all relationships. It's awkward, it's funny, it's <laughs> embarrassing, and it's incredibly sweet. 
Thank you. I mean, that is what teenagers are like, which was also really exciting is like teenagers in Hollywood are so like grown and sexy. And we were like, how about we just show like what it was really like when we were teenagers and we were awkward and didn't know what to do with our hands. Now, Stephen told us the story. I think he said he was working on the Goldbergs when he got the call from Mike Royce that Netflix wasn't bringing the show back for a fourth season. Do you remember where you were when you got that bad news? I was in Vancouver. I was filming a Cinderella story Christmas wish, and I was with my castmates Greg Sulkin and Laura Morano, and we were in a van on our way to set, and Gloria Calderon Kellett and Mike Royce called me to let me know, and I started sobbing and cried all of my makeup off and they had to redo everything <laughs> well the great news is mike and gloria and, and norman lear never gave up you had some wonderful allies including people like lynn manuel miranda where were you when you got the news that you were coming back on pop tv i had just landed in spain i was actually there for a convention where i was going to get to meet a bunch of the fans and i was in the immigration line where you're not supposed to have your phone and I, I checked it, obviously, and I had two texts, one from Mike Roy saying, go miss you there, and one from Gloria saying, done, we're doing our show. And it was, as you can imagine, the most magical moment. Well, and Stephen was sharing with us some of the numbers, and, and Netflix was always reluctant to release numbers, but the viewership went up for every single season of the show. From the get-go, all of the critics loved it. So, yeah, they made their decision for whatever reason, but uh, what's it like so far to be part of the Pop TV and the larger CBS family? They are so lovely, and we are so grateful to them for having saved us, really. They, they rescued us, and for what that means, not only for us, because we love the show and we would do a million seasons of it, but what it means for future creators when they're trying to sell, you know, Latinx-led, LGBTQ-led, women-led shows and or movies. And they're just so supportive. They give us so much freedom. And they're so excited to have us, which is, you know, pretty refreshing. And, and we're very excited about it. And, and what was it like when the cast finally got back together after not being sure that you would ever get to work with each other again? Oh, my God. All the emotions, all the feelings. It felt so surreal because between season three and season four, there was a year and a half. So Marcel was, like, even bigger. <laughs> Everybody had changed a little bit. And it just felt like, you know, we fought that battle for so long that, you know, for a while we thought, like, it probably wasn't going to happen anymore. So to be there with each other and to be on the set and to do that table read and get to step into our old shoes again felt like we were walking in a dream. We're talking with Isabella Gomez here on Dantan. You talked about Mike and Gloria, uh, but the, the creators of the show, originally the creative forces were three white guys. And, and this is a show so much about representation. And they realized pretty early on in the process that they couldn't be the only people to create a show about a Cuban-American family. Yeah, and that's why they're such great allies. And, and that's the thing is in, in battles like this and in representation stuff, you definitely need allies. And that is what Norman Lear has been his entire life. He has dedicated his life to helping represent the underrepresented. And we needed those names. We needed the Mike Royce name. We needed the white guys to then also be self-aware enough to be like, we have the power to make this show. And now we need an authentic voice and we won't do it without one. And I think that's why the show resonates with so many people. It's because it's not a Latinx show made by three white men. It's a Latinx show made by Latinx humans that are so invested because they're actually getting to tell their story. 
every character in the show is so fully drawn and fleshed out, and Elena particularly. Uh, Elena is such a complex character and through the writing, but also through your incredible talents. You have added so many layers to that character as the seasons have gone on. Thank you. I mean, and again, this is a testament to our writers and the people that are in the writer's room. It's 50% um, Latinx. It's 50%. um, I mean, I don't know about now because the writers all change for season four, but it is a super diverse writer's room that actually lived through the things that we're living through. And especially with Elena's storyline, they wanted to make her LGBTQ because at the time we were doing season one, Mike Royce's daughter was also coming out. And so it just it was all very grounded in truth. And when you get incredible material like that, it is very easy for an actor to just run with it and, and make it good. Does that put extra pressure on you as an actor, knowing that you're you're in a way telling the story of a real person, or does that provide you with a security blanket because you know that, that Mike and everybody involved is going to make sure it's done right? Yeah, I think it definitely is kind of a security blanket in that I know people are invested in the story and in telling it right, and that they have something to actually go off of, and not only in his daughter, but also we have a ton of LGBTQ writers so I know that everything that's been given to me is not coming out of thin air so that I can trust it and go with it. We've talked about the handling uh, the coming out of Elena, but also uh, the wonderful way you've dealt with uh, mental health uh, with both your character and Justina's dealing with anxiety and depression in such an honest and open way. Yeah, and I mean, that's <laughs> the same thing. I'm just like singing the writer's praises, but it's, it's something that, especially in the Latinx community, we don't talk about a lot. And it's something that I've seen firsthand uh, my entire life. Artists tend to have a lot of mental health issues and because we're more creative and empathetic or whatever it is. And so I grew up doing theater and a lot of my friends had anxiety and depression. But I never really saw it portrayed on TV the way that I felt it was in real life until the show. And then, so we got to, you know, do those episodes and especially, you know, Hello, Penelope. And Justina Machado being the brilliant, incredible actress that she is and portraying that so beautifully. It is such an honor to be able to be on a show that is bringing awareness to that and normalizing it. Along with everything else, One Day at a Time is really a great generational comedy. And it's not all that often that a comedy show can do those multiple generations relating to each other without one of them becoming sort of the parody, the butt of the joke. Is that something, that that interaction between the generations, is that something the writers and the, the actors and the creators are, are really aware of and working on? Oh, absolutely. I think it's one of the central pieces of the show is getting to see how this family that's three generations and have grown up super differently and are themselves very different humans can relate to each other and continue to love each other and be in, you know, sort of similar pages without doing exactly what you said, without making one of them a caricature or making one of them unlikable, or making them not like each other. And it's a super fine balance, but it's also what families are. It's, you know, several generations that have been raised in completely different circumstances. So they definitely take a lot of care of it, and us as actors, too. Like, if anything ever feels wonky or, like, it's not working, we we definitely bring that up because we want to make sure that that's pretty intact. And it works on so many levels and for so many people because the stories you tell while they're, they're based uh, on this Cuban-American family are, 
are universal. Families are families, relationships are relationships. And, and that's, I think, the real power of this show and why it's continued to do so well and why the audience grows is because it reaches everybody of every age, of every background with honesty. And it does it, it, does it without getting preachy, which is great. Totally. And I mean, we like to talk about that, too, is this isn't really a, a Latinx show. It's a show that happens to be about a Latinx family. And, you know, because of the way we've been portrayed in media is why people have that reaction of like, oh, well, this is a Latinx show. And so it's not for me. But really, we're all human and we all have are going through the human experience. And that's why we love making this show is we get to connect with people that otherwise wouldn't see us as just humans. By the way, we love the uh, little mini episode you all did on social distancing. That was great. Thank you. We thought it was important, you know, if we have a, a platform, be able to reach as many people as possible about it. So how many episodes were you able uh, to get shot before you had to take a break? We did six. So we have seven left for the season, and we'll see when we're able to get those done. Where do you see things going for your character? What's the future hold for Elena? So Elena this year is graduating high school and applying for colleges. And obviously she has huge ambitions for that. And she has been in this relationship for quite a while now. It's a pretty steady relationship. So I think she's having to make a lot of grown-up decisions now. And that's where she's headed. She's trying to figure out what her actual life is going to look like and who she's going to be and like what kind of adult she's going to become. Well, we love the show more than we can say. It's such a treat. Tuesday nights now at 930 on Pop TV. I, I told Stephen the other day I want to be in the back seat of that car with him and with Rita. Even if you're driving, I will I will sit back there. Hey, I am a great driver, and you're welcome anytime. <laughs> Isabella, thank you so much. We love the show. Great to talk with you. Be safe, be well, and uh, we wish you continued success. Thank you so much. You too. That's Isabella Gomez of One Day at a Time here on Downtown, the podcast. When we return after this quick word from Cross Insurance, we'll learn, wait, Carrie, you, you already do this, so it's more for my benefit. We'll learn how to be a badass in the kitchen. I uh, I do enjoy my way around the kitchen. I, uh, I, I enjoy the process of just starting to throw stuff together and see what comes out on the other side. Me too. And I, uh, you know, I... I recipes, most are in my head. I mean, there are some things that I will make. It's probably why I'm not a very good baker, because you have to be a bit more precise in baking, and that's that's certainly not my approach to things. Yes. Any recipe you're making in baking, you, you follow the recipe the first time, then you can start tweaking it a little bit. Yes. Well, we'll learn how to be a badass in the kitchen from author Ilana Horwich up next on Downtown the Podcast. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We're back on Downtown the Podcast, episode number 100. An appropriate song, perhaps, for our next guest. Morning on the wrong side of the bed, and how I got to thinking about all those things you said about all the 
guest is a food expert, has hosted tours of Italy, television, video, and a brand new book called Meal and a Spiel, How to Be a Badass in the Kitchen by Eating the Rich would certainly qualify you for that. Here's our conversation with Ilana Horwich on Downtown Podcast. Yeah, so happy to be here, Rich. High School Teachers Unite. Yeah, you're darn right. I love the book so much, and, and we'll get to that. But I, I want to talk about your background, because how you got here, I think, is an awfully interesting story. And, and it starts with with growing up in a house where, as you say, no one cooked. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, the joke in the house is that I went in... You know, I was in the kitchen because it was the only place in the house my mother couldn't find me. <laughs> and and I was there because I was hungry. Um, you know, a lot of people learn don't don't learn to cook because their mothers are always in the kitchen. For me, it was the opposite. And when I was 20 years old, I actually had an epiphany and left college temporarily and moved to Italy, where I stayed ultimately for five years. And I got... Well, really inspired by the Italians, by their approach to cooking, and plus I was on a budget, and I I cooked, and I learned to cook. Before you made that trip, though, and I think this is a common story for a lot of people, you say that for a time there in your teens, food really became your enemy. That is true, yeah. I actually had a really unhealthy relationship with food. I, I probably had an undiagnosed eating disorder. If I could diagnose myself now, I would have said I was an obsessive, compulsive eater, um, I just used food to squash my emotions, which I think is very, very common. Um, and it's a form of addiction, I guess. And, you know, I felt really terrible about my body. I felt really just out of control with food because I just I didn't want to keep it in my sight because I didn't have any control around it. And yet I would, of course, keep it in my sight because I needed to eat all the time. So, and you know, I was an athlete, so it was it was really it was really hard for me. And I and I healed that element of myself while in Italy actually because the Italians have such a healthy approach to food. Um you know, they sit down every time that they eat. There's uh they eat, you know, full meals. They don't look at people like I grew up in Los Angeles. So if you ate a little too much in front of someone like that, you could get looks like, oh, you're fat and you're eating like we're there. They're like, honey, eat more. So I and just cooking was really healing for me. I mean, I think that was a huge, huge part of my huge part of my um, healing that that aspect of myself. What did you learn about yourself from that time in Italy? Well, my gosh, um, yeah, I mean, I think I learned so much about myself. I mean, in terms of, you know, if we're going to talk in terms of food, I, I think I learned that I had an enormous curiosity 
um, that I really loved learning from the Italian mamas. Like, I could not get enough. I was always trying to get in any mother's kitchen that I could. I mean, they, of course, don't have recipes written down, but I was watching. I was asking questions. You know, even just the way that I was eating, I was eating with curiosity so I could understand the ingredients that went in there. And I think I learned that I really just love being in a foreign culture. I think it really allows us to connect with the part of ourselves that is not American or not Californian or not Jewish or not Los Angelino. It's like it's who we really are. We, we connect in this really human-to-human way when we're in a foreign country. And I, I realize I really love um love to do that. We're talking with Ilana Horwich. Her book is Meal and a Spiel, How to Be a Badass in the Kitchen. This is not this is not your Betty Crocker book. This is a, a very different type of cookbook. It's got great recipes, tremendous stories, and some wonderful pictures as well. But best of all, it's very encouraging. And, and one of your early messages in the book is that uh, even people who think they can't cook can still enjoy food, or as you put it, even schlamazels can learn. Yeah. That is true. Do we need to define what a schlamazel is, or we can let that one go? Uh, well, I'm good with it, but you may want to share that for anybody who may not be acquainted. Yeah, schlamazel is Yiddish for uh, someone who is prone to accidents, let's say, or is just not the, not the smartest, you know, sharpest knife in the drawer. So even people who, who don't have a lot of experience in the kitchen, who might actually be very bright, but just don't have a lot of experience in the kitchen, absolutely can learn to cook. And I take people, I hold their hand. You know, I've been teaching cooking classes for the past 10 years, based in L.A., but all over the country, um, even in New Hampshire, just over the border from Maine. And I find, you know, I, I implemented the tactics that I use in class inside of the book. So, for example, I explain how and why recipes work. Sometimes when people just have an understanding of what's about to happen, they can relax around cooking. I also don't tell people to cook, you know, something for five minutes. I say cook it until you see this color change or until you see these bubbles start to happen. So they're looking out for specific things. And I mean, the bottom line is cooking's not that hard. And the way that I learned to cook in Italy, the Italians have a very simple kitchen. But you also say it's important to have the right tools. Half the battle, you say, is having what you need. And you come up with a list of some fairly essential tools, uh, tools that everyone should have. Yeah, and none of them are particularly fancy. I mean, not just tools, but I would say, you know, even just the great ingredient in the house. Like, for example, right now we're in a time in our country where we're not running to the market every day and there are some ingredients that everyone should have in the house at all times like olive oil garlic red pepper flakes salt with that you can make a pasta from just about anything you know keeping carrots and onion and celery in the house means you can make a soup from anything means that you can make a meat sauce from what you have in the house means that you can make meatballs and in terms of tools you know, I don't use such fancy tools, um, but I do encourage my students to get a, a grill pan. Um, that's one of the things that I encourage because I find a lot of women particularly aren't going out on a cold night to light the grill up and that you can do a lot of easy cooking on a grill pan for your family in a matter of minutes and for busy people. It's just 
a great fit tool to have. Great piece of advice that you give in the book is stop trying to be perfect. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, you know, we have this notion of cooking that, like, everything needs to be chopped in the exact way and everything needs to be, you know, perfect, perfect looking. And, and we have to make the recipe in such a way that it comes out perfectly every single time. And holding on to those notions of perfectionism actually prevent us from, one, adding joy into the cooking, and two, taking risks. Like, it's okay if you burn, you know, by the way, in my first time I taught um, my pasta class, and I just taught an online pasta class. I've been teaching cooking classes online now because everyone's at home. I burnt the garlic, you know, multiple times. And, like, you, if you don't take risks, you're not going to grow. And the reality is with cooking that even when you make mistakes, you probably can still eat it afterwards. So it's not a horrible catastrophe. Your pasta class, by the way, looks incredible. And, and you take a somewhat different approach to it. And as you say, you know, even in Italy, people aren't sitting around every day making their own fresh pasta. No, they are not. Um most Italians are using the pasta that comes out of the box, made from semolina, which is just the type of wheat flour, and pasta is whipped up in the house in 20 minutes. It is, you know, very easy. Italian women often work. They are not there just serving their husbands and serving their children, and it might actually be the husband that is cooking, but they walk in the house and they make dinner in 20 minutes. And uh, it's just, you know, the grandmas are maybe waking up on Sundays and rolling fresh pasta. And, and, and thank goodness that they are because it is such a beautiful art and there's nothing like eating a homemade pasta rolled from a grandma. You're not a big fan of the slow cooker. Can you explain why? Well, I'm not a big fan of the slow cooker, but I am a big fan of slow cooking. Yes. So what is the <laughs> difference? Yeah. The slow cooker is electric and um, the inside of it is made from usually some manufactured material, and the food just doesn't taste good in there. And another uh, first step, I should say, in slow cooking is you want to brown the meat. So that is like how you get good flavor, by like browning that brisket or browning, um, you know, the chicken skin. And you can't brown it in a slow cooker. So you actually need to use a pan to brown it, and then you, then you stick in a slow cooker. So in the end, you're actually dirtying two different things as opposed to just using, like, a Dutch oven or ceramic-coated cast iron. And you're not getting a good flavor by it being cooked in this electric thing. So it's, you know, look, if that's what you have in the house, now is a good time to get your slow cooker out. But... I would say if you're my cooking student, I would say in the future, let's get rid of it. You've also put together in the book what I think is the, the best, most straightforward account of how to make risotto because it's always been a little intimidating to me, but you've inspired me to go back and try again. Oh, my gosh, Rich, that's awesome. I'm so excited. That's great. Yeah, well, I'm about to teach risotto in my one of my – future online classes coming up soon, which anyone can join. They're free. If anyone wants information, they can come to my website at ilanahorwich.com. But the key to making risotto is that you need to, like, stir and stir and stir the risotto. So it does require that you're at your stovetop for 20 minutes, but it can be very meditative. 
but you really just have to saute onions and you saute them really well. Then you add some of the arborio rice in there. It has to be a risotto rice, otherwise it, it won't happen. You let that toast a little bit, and then you start adding broth, ladleful by ladleful, and you just stir and stir and stir, and halfway through that you might add the mushrooms that you had cooked or you know, zucchini that we had cooked on the side, and you add that in, and you just keep adding broth and stirring and stirring, and there you go. That's what makes it creamy, the stirring. So, Ilana, how do people take control of their relationship with food and put it in its proper place? You mean in terms of, like, if they have an unhealthy eating relationship? Is that what you mean? Yeah, and, and I think just uh, you know, people obsess so much these days about food and are constantly thinking about every little calorie, I think, to the point where they, they don't enjoy food and, and it becomes something that, that the focus is on the numbers and not on the proper enjoyment of it. I see. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. So um, I like to think of food as not something that just goes into our mouth, but something that is nourishing each and every cell inside of our body. Our bodies need food and water in order to run, um, in order to function well. So I like to you know, when you think about it in that way, then you have to be really grateful that this food is available to you. You know, so as opposed to seeing it as the enemy, I see it as my friend. Um, it's, I think, really important to think about, like, think about how grateful you are for not just the food itself, but like for the farmers. For the truckers that, like, took it from the farm to the market, for the people that are working in the market, you know, for your ability to get to the market. And that, I think, having a gratitude for this um, fresh food that is going to nourish and fuel your body helps me at least have a different approach. And, um, and you know, also sometimes we just need to slow down. Absolutely. Now, well, that's something I think I learned in Italy is I just slowed down. Well, you're going to want to take your time going through this book. It is, it's a beautiful book. It's funny. It's uplifting. It's got great recipes and information. Meal and a Spiel, How to Be a Badass in the Kitchen. Ilana Horowitz, been a delight to talk with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for being, thank you for having me, Rich. It was a pleasure. We'll do it again sometime, I hope. Yes. You know, I'd love to let your, your audience know that if they're interested in this book, we are offering a discount right now. Is that at, on my website? It's kitchenbadass20. They can use the code where, you know, everyone's cooking right now, and we'd, we'd love to have Meal and Spiel be a help to you in the kitchen. Fantastic. Ilana, thank you very much. Uh, stay safe, be well, and we'll talk again, I hope. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Thanks, Rich. I hope so. That's Ilana Horwich. Her book is called Meal and a Spiel, How to Be a Badass in the Kitchen. Thanks to Ilana. Thanks, of course, as well to Isabella Gomez of One Day at a Time, Tuesday nights, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Pop TV. And thanks to you for joining us this week on Episode 100 of the podcast. Next week, Perry Gilpin of Frasier joins us. You'll want to check us out, tell your friends, leave a good review. You do not need to send cash. We appreciate you just as you are. We'll see you next time on Downtown, brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength.